Welcome to the Ag Emerge Podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to today's podcast. We're excited that you've joined us. And you know, it's a fun day in the studio here in Moline, Illinois. Harvest is over and Monty's here and I get to pick his brain about some of the exciting things he's been both working on, thinking about and implementing over the past year. You know, this time of year gives you an opportunity to think about everything, including evaluating what worked and what didn't. And we also wanted to spend some time talking about some of the challenges and things that are happening right now in agriculture. So we've got a lot to cover today, but keeping with tradition, I'll start with welcome, Monty Bottens, to the Ag Emerge podcast. Well, gee, Kim, it's a pleasure to be here. I It's been a while since I've, uh, you know, been on the podcast. No, I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, as farmers, we all get some quality cab time this time of year. I, uh, Ryan typically runs the combine. I run the cart just because I get so many phone calls and such that, uh, we'd have to pay for a whole lot more, uh, snouts if I was running it all the time. But I do get a lot of time in the combine when we're in soybeans because Ryan's doing cover crops at that time. So it's a, uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting year, right? A lot of things have happened. A lot of things have changed. So we've seen, uh, you know, one year's time, nearly a doubling in commodity prices. We've seen, trade uh, disputes get resolved and affect some of the prices on, on export crops and not on others. Lots of things going on. We, we seems like we trying to get parts as a challenge, uh, trying to get new equipment, uh, new electronics, uh, uh, all those, we got the logistics. Uh, we, we realize that, um, the stress test of just in time inventory has been hitting us. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we, we've got those issues, and then we've got uh, general price issues, right? Um, price and availability uh, inputs. Uh, you know, who who would have thought with sixty some manufacturers of glyphosate that there'd be a glyphosate shortage? Hmm. So, some I wonder if it's real, and some is just, well, gosh, commodity prices are twice as high. Maybe we can charge twice as much. So, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's chaotic. Let's just say that. It, that's a, a good description. I think one of the things that would be interesting for folks, because some folks might just be joining us for the first time, or um, maybe you've been a longtime listener, but you don't always uh, maybe know what all Monty is up to. So, you know, in it, looking at everything that you just talked about, talk about what you're doing on your farm and then how those factors that you just described are affecting what you're doing because you really practice what you preach. And so that means that you are navigating all of these waters as well. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? You mentioned you're in the combine during harvest for Mm -hmm. soybeans uh, because you're planting cover crops. Tell us a little bit about what, what the operation looks like today. Okay. So this, this time of year, operationally, what we're doing is obviously corn and soybean harvest and cover crop seeding for, for next year. Um, in addition to that, we have the harvest of our livestock this time of year. So cattle, sheep, and hogs are going in. It's more of a seasonal type business because it's pastured proteins and also livestock teams preparing for winter. 
wonderful freezing water conditions that we get here in uh, Northwest Illinois. So lots of preparations need to be made for that because we just don't have all of the perfect infrastructure in place that we should. And plus being on pasture changes things a little bit too. So, um, you know, we're also preparing for next year at this time too, making decisions as, as all farmers are. Uh, a lot of times we purchase all of our seed in September before we even harvest. We purchase many of our fertilizer inputs and, and those kind of things to take advantage of early pay discounts and, and those kind of, and have that crop plan in place. But uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. So this year, so many of the commodity fertilizers, you can't even get a price on, let alone availability. So that's been a challenge. Now at Ag Solutions Network, uh, Dawn, the entire team has been working hard on getting product um, acquired, guaranteed, um, you know, manufactured and placed ahead of time. Uh, many of our dealers have been willing to take product this time of year in order to make sure it's there. Uh, there's some significant shortages in certain categories. So a lot of the chelation products that we use are in short supply and prices have dramatically risen. So we're trying to do our best to keep prices down. Uh, there's issues that just crazy issues that you'd never even think as far as, you know, trucking has been an issue coming and going over the years, but actually getting a tote to put the product in, getting a box to put a, <laughs> you could put right. on a pallet to get a, the jug to put in the box, to get the labels. It's just the craziest thing you've ever seen. So we've always, uh, we've kind of taken a Dave Ramsey approach with our businesses. Um, so we, we believe in uh, operating on a cash basis and we're been blessed to be able to purchase many of these things uh, months ahead of what our normal purchasing timeline would be in order to make sure we've got products available for customers. Not everything's covered yet, but um, uh, the team's been working really hard on, on getting everything locked in. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, because many of our products are, are outside of the normal commodity fertilizer channel and allow commodity fertilizers to be more efficient or apply less of them, it uh, really makes our system shine for this coming year. So when nitrogen is twice the price and you don't need to use, use as much with ours, um, you know, we may have a little bit of increase in biologicals just from freight packaging and those kind of things, but it's not going to be double by any means. I think that's a, a really important piece to talk about is that system, because that was one of the, the questions that I was thinking a lot about is that once growers have a working soil health system, then you get some flexibility, I guess, if, if that's the right word, in what you're applying or what you're doing, because you have multiple directions that you could go, right? Uh, through your cover crops, through uh, whatever nutrient packages you're using, you get some flexibility. You're not locked into something that you had to do this fall, or is that a, is that a good or valid thing to say? Well, what we like to do with our program is no nutrient applied until the time of seeding or after. Uh, so right now there's, um, and in the Midwest and hydrous ammonia going out, broadcast P and K going out and they're going out at two X price points. And you hope that's going to be good. Um, when we're looking at this, we can lock in the price of our spring fertility inputs now, if we want to, or we can wait till spring to do that. Um, we know we definitely have a, a bad deal today, 
we may have a worse deal tomorrow. We don't know. Okay. But there's that flexibility. Plus if you know, the weather related events or uh, commodity pricing up upheaval, we, we can change, you know, uh, more flexibility in that regard. But I, I think overall it boils down to just making sure we judiciously use every nutrient. And when you buy a nutrient that's liquid, it's going to cost more money because you're shipping water. It's just, that's all there is to it. I mean, 28% has a lot of water in it, uh, where, uh, you know, ammonia is 82%. It's pure gas. So it's, uh, that's just the, the nature of the math behind it, but, uh, we can put it exactly where we want it, exactly when we want it, exactly in the correct, most efficient form for the plant to use and, and stage it throughout the plant's life to where we can get away with using half, you know, two thirds, three quarters, depending on the soil health of what somebody else would use. And, and typically we've used 10 to 20% of the P and K of what standard recommendations would be for 25 years. And we still grow great crops. You know, it's not like it's a desert. So, um, there's just, there's lots of opportunities to think different. Uh, and if, if this, if these double prices don't make you think different, uh, you must like writing checks, I guess. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, if there is ever a time to question what you're doing and try something else, wake up folks. Now's the time. Well, isn't it Gabe Brown that said he, he found out it was a lot more fun to sign the back of a check than the front of the check. I believe so. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's a good, a good example of that. So, but no, I, that's really what I was kind of driving at, but I, I wanted to, delve into that whole, you know, just understanding that as the system is improves, as your soil health system improves, that gives you some flexibility too, because you aren't tied into a soil that desperately needs something because that soil is healthy and functioning and doing what you need it to do. Mm-hmm. We're, we're allowing the microbial community and nutrient cycling to work for us instead of trying to pound it into submission. So mm-hmm. yep, it's, it's pretty exciting about that. And I think one of the examples this year that we saw in, in our field trials and what we're doing, uh, that really stood out to me, we we've uh, got a bunch of other trials that we need to quantify yet, but in, in a soybean system. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to gain, um, four or five bushels of yield, but I've got to spend some bushels to get that. Right. So I'd have to go out and spend another 30, 40, $50, who knows to gain a hundred. Right. So what's the probability one limited water and, and those timing and such that we could, you know, get, do 10 to 12 bushel better than, where we're at in the, the low sixties, you know? Uh, so I, I'd have to get, um, 74, 75 bushel beans in, in those marginal soils. I just, I don't think that's possible. Plus I'm, I'm diversifying my crop. I I'm preparing it to overwinter better. Um, there, there's lots of nuances involved in that. So we're, we'll continue pursuing the companion cropping thing and getting that dialed in, but we're in our third year of it now. And pretty, pretty excited about that. That is exciting. And I think, you know, sometimes we kind of bury the lead here, but, but ultimately your soil health, talk a little bit about what that's meant for the soil health, where you're doing that intercropping. Well, we definitely notice it in the plants because the, um, 
and we noticed it last year where we had wheat versus rye in a comparison, you could definitely see darker beans because rye, rye is better at making manganese plant available and soybeans typically are a manganese hog. So, you know, we could certainly see that rye is also better at wheat suppression than wheat. So there, there's lots of things going on there. Plus you just have diversity. I think of all the soil health principles we do, uh, nationwide diversity is the hardest thing because we're planting the field to this crop this year, another crop next year, you know, and we just don't have diversity and diversity isn't a crop rotation only it's within crop. Okay. So we need to have multiple species growing at once to really get the soil microbiome, um, cooking for us. And if you look at, and we've got it in some of the literature we publish, but the Jenna experiment is really foundational to this, showing the return of different functional groups uh, in the soil showing, you know, you really need to have at minimum eight different species of plants to optimize the functional diversity and characteristics of the microbes in the soil. So um, it, we need to get cash crop production to there. We can do it with cover crops. You can plant 16 things and graze it, but we need to get to systems that are growing multiple harvestable crops at once. So we need to be able to plant them accordingly, harvest them accordingly, weed them accordingly. And that is where ag technology is going to come in. And we're going to have uh, robotic machines that can plant at different timings that we'll likely need to optimize, you know, uh, fun stuff going on out there with laser weeders and, and other things. Uh, so I think diversification is probably the principle that we're the weakest on and um, hardest to do today. I mean, livestock integration, obviously hard, but yes, it can be done. Um, the diversification principle within a harvestable cash crop, whether it's permaculture and we have multiple layers or multiple cash crops, multiple annual crops or biannual crops at once. Those are some areas we really need to look at. I think that um, having that opportunity just really helps mitigate some of the economic risk that you would be facing, uh, you know, or that you can be facing in years like this or just in any year. But yeah, uh, and it's economic risk of signing checks too. So more diversity we can get out there, less pest pressures, less fungal disease pressures, uh, you know. Why less weed problems, uh, you know, getting to more of a biological focus versus a chemical focus and, um, you know, having everything work together. I think it's exciting because just like the work that Dr. James White's doing, and we've had him on the, on the podcast and he's been an ag emerge speaker, but you know, you just wonder now, okay, as you start building that diversity, we know plants are sending signals and information and telling uh, microbes what they need and getting what they need back and forth. So as you build that diversity, then is there inner plant plants talking together or, you know, what all is happening there? And we're, we still honestly have probably just scratched the surface of what we understand about that. Right. Yeah, I, I think as in anything, the more we learn about something, the less we know we know about something. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, more to come. Stay tuned. Yes. 
We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. Well, you had another topic on your list that you uh, that we were going to talk about. So tell me a little bit more about what you've got there. Well, one of the things I think that we like to look back on when we're harvesting is what worked, what didn't. And oftentimes when you're dealing with a holistic approach to crop production, you're looking at... Um, systems instead of individual products. So, you know, things can enter in to water availability, stress, um, varieties, soil type, because we rotated farms and, uh, you know, the saying of don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Uh, sometimes even though we tried to do the best we can with the power to grow system, if it's in an adverse environment with no water and extremes, it may not perform as good as it did last year. Okay. But we're, we need to compare it within itself, within its own context. So our goal is to always develop a plant and a soil system that is able to handle a multitude of, uh, stress environment, uh, stress factors and, and environmental factors. And, you know, just, we can't compare an 80 ton environment to a 50 ton environment and be disappointed that it was 80 last year and 50 this year. You know, it's like, well, the context is, okay, bad water quality or, you know, different soil type and, and, and those kind of things. Uh, so I think it's really, really important to, to stick to your guns because it's, it's easy to fall back on what you've done forever and it's comfortable because everybody else is doing it. So you know, one of the things we've really pushed for is uh, trying to get non-GMO beans in our system. And we did some food grade non-GMO beans this year. And we made some changes um, to our uh, cover crop termination. So cover crop termination, it was successful last year, right? This year, we decided let's dial back on the uh, vermoxone that we we're using and let's uh, look at additives that we have and not including the non-ionic surfactant and some things like that. Plus the plant stage wasn't as far, far along this year when we did the termination. So guess what? It didn't work very well. And then in addition to that, we discovered that we didn't have the correct spray tips on for when we were spraying Cobra. So we weren't getting the right pattern or the right droplet size. And we also found that um, we skipped a step with the uh, famosophen and didn't have that out there. And congratulations, we had the weediest mess you can possibly imagine. So since I'm get to do a lot of the combine uh, on the soybeans, it, it's just frustrating. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is driving me nuts. And um, it's slow harvesting. The yields are not as good. And, you know, fortunately, the good news is, is we did get the last field that we planted dialed in perfect weed free. You'd think it was a extend a flex or a enlist field, right? Surprise. It's not. So it, it's just, you know, it's super easy as a farmer just to throw your hands up in the air and be like, Nope, 
I'm not doing this anymore. And you really got to check yourself on what, why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, you got to think through what is the long-term implications. And I, you know, I kind of had to, I had to work this through myself. Okay. And, and this is our, this is our business. This is what we talk to people about every day and, and how we encourage them to adopt the soil principles and move away from GMO as much as possible, move away from harmful herbicides as much as possible, move away from harmful insecticides, you know, and able to plant the soil to function in a way that allows you to do that. And, and here I am questioning it, right. After doing approaching farming this way for 25 years and it's, it's, I can certainly understand and, and identify with how a farmer can feel, especially if he just started working with us in the last couple of years and, and has a little bit of a, you know, rock to the boat. It's, it's easy to go back to what you know. So I think this time of year is a great time to reflect upon instead of the initial gut response of, Oh, I hate this. You know, I don't like this. This isn't as good as it should be or whatever it is and think, okay, what went wrong? Okay. And I just walked you through all the specific things I know that went wrong. And I also shared that we figured it out by the end of the season. So even though I'm sitting there grinding away through mare's tail, giant water hemp or giant ragweed, fortunately no water hemp or very minimal and, and out there in the field and thinking and lamb's quarter and thinking, Ugh. but I, I have to remind myself, okay, I've taken the steps. I've documented stuff. We know what we're going to do next year. We're going to make those changes. And the good news is it can't be any worse than this, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we know what we're doing. So when, when you're out there and you're, and you're making system changes, okay. Farmers gut check yourself and, and realize it's, it's easy to let fear run the show, but you're in charge, you're a principled based farmer. You need to make those decisions based on principles so that you keep heading yourself in the right direction. So learn from your mistakes. Don't just run away from them. So it takes, uh, it takes some intestinal fortitude, but, uh, you, you can do it. And, and I think, um, we, we always need to be learning from our disappointments instead of running away from them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard when you're right in the middle of it and you're frustrated seeing what you're seeing, but when you look at it from a learning opportunity, that's really key. And so, you know, my mantra is to be a lifelong learner and that's just how we keep our brain going. And that's how we make advances and changes and things that are positive to our lives and to the lives of the people around us. So, and, and maybe it's me just being farmer. Okay. But I think this is human nature. I, what did I do first? I went, went right to the disappointment, right? Yeah. So on the corn though, on the other hand, weight control is great. We got that all dialed in and where we'd grazed livestock now for three years in a row, uh, severely outwashed hillsides, uh, compliments of my grandfather and great grandfather and the moldboard plow, um, were yielding 180 bushel, uh, that used to five years ago, maybe get 30, you know, cause it was, and it would just prematurely die. And my dad commented over and over this summer, when you hit August, normally those spots just burn up and they're done. And he's like, look at that. You cannot see those spots. He says, they're holding together. They're holding it up. Never turned yellow, never anything. So I think combination of what we were doing with our, our wide drop pass, 
Uh, also the combination of the cover crops and the grazing for three years in a row, just dramatically uh, turned around those spots and, you know, makes the, the home farm uh, was the n- number one yielding farm this year. Mm. So that, that's pretty exciting. And it was a food grade corn at the same time. So we're, we're pretty excited about, about those kind of things. So there's, you, you see the principles work, right? So when you see the principles work, you know, realize that when you're trying to make the principles work in another application to don't just give up, okay, stick to it, figure out a way to make it work because when it does work, it's just pretty fun. It is fun. And I love it when you give the, um, father Bob, uh, commentary because, um, y'all don't know him probably very well, but I mean, he's a pretty tell it like it is, uh, kind of guy. And so he's not going to mince words either. So what did, you know, just him noticing and seeing those things that you just mentioned, but also what was his commentary on that intercropping and, uh, uh, his thoughts as you were processing all of that. Well, on the intercropping, he just, hey, he's just like, wow, that's amazing. So he just can't believe it, you know? Um, and it is kind of shocking, you know, to have weed control with no herbicide. Okay. That's just weird. Uh, it's the way it used to be done, I suppose, 60 years ago, but, uh, <laughs> you know, no till, no, and no, uh, uh, no weeds. So anyway, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. And, but, you know, for him, uh, the corn on that side hill made, made the biggest made the, difference, mm-hmm. you know, for him this yeah. year going around. So, yeah. Yep. It's good to have that history uh, so that you can be reminded mm-hmm. of what it was and you can go on forward. So uh, that that's great. That's great. But no, I, you know, there's, there's other things we learned this fall and we, we had some trials out uh, with different uh, fertilizer treatments and different additive treatments uh, stay tuned, more, more details to come uh, on those kind of things. Once we get all the stats run and, and, uh, things there, what we can learn, uh, moving forward, I think, um, we need to think a little bit about, you know, what's 2022 going to look like, you know, how long are we going to be, you know, in these logistical challenges? So, um, we're, we're thinking through, you know, what we're going to do for next year. We're, we're looking at, uh, integrating some peas, uh, into production just to, to try them. And this works well because we hope to use some of the peas for our, uh, livestock, uh, feed. There's a lot of demand from consumers for soy free protein or soy free feed. Uh, so we need to be aware of that. And, uh, we're going to probably integrate that at least into the egg production, if not into broiler and hog also. So we'll use peas as a protein source instead of soybeans. Um, in addition to selling them and marketing them, but we'll do them with the companion crop of oats, which the oats then can be part of a, a feed program or cover crop seed. Uh, following that, we'll come off with uh, summer cover crops that will either graze or hay. So, you know, that's something new for us for next year. Uh, also looking at um, next year, uh, continuing with the, f- the food grade corn and really want to evaluate the food grade soybeans. If that's a good direction to go, uh, there seems to be some yield drag associated with that. And is the yield drag worth the premium? You know, that's always the, <laughs> the question, right? But I think there's going to be bigger challenges ahead for equipment availability, parts availability, uh, and just input availability, mm-hmm. you know, chemistry, mm-hmm. um, 
nutrients, all the above. Mm-hmm. And, and then the price pressures, mm-hmm. you know, I think the value of the dollar has, has plummeted, right? When we put too much into circulation, that's what happens. So uh, we're trying to do some things to hedge against uh, that inflation the best that we can. And, you know, who knows if it's the right thing or not, time will tell, but, but we'll see. That's uh, interesting. I would love for you to talk a little bit about, so you mentioned the peas um, and that you're looking at using them as a feed source for your own livestock, but also that people are, consumers are looking for non-soy-based stuff. Can you talk about access to those markets? Like, how do you discern where you can sell those products? I think a lot of people think, oh, I can grow that, but then where am I going to unload it? And what kind of price am I going to get for it? How do you, what's your thought process as you go through and research how to, how to sell and market those things? Well, as far as the peas are a contract base, uh, where we, we purchase it from the provider that's going to buy it back from us. So it's their varieties and then uh, we're working to where they'll let us use a portion of that for our own own feedstuffs and uh, as as a part of growing it. So they they desperately need people to grow the acres, so they become a little more flexible on those things. So sure, we do that now. As far as um, so that's contracted ahead of time with premiums and delivery points and schedules and and that kind of thing. Uh, as far as the you know consumer demand. We get, uh, I haven't gotten any requests in the last two weeks, but we see requests coming back almost weekly on, is this soy free? So, you know, it grateful grazes is a, is a small business, right? And, and it, it's interesting. It's a great learning experience and, and it's growing, but it's still small. And for us to get that kind of volume. Okay. Is is interesting, you know, to get one a week asking, and we've got roughly a thousand customers that order from us on a regular basis. Uh, that's significant, you know, so, so if one person's asking how many people else are looking, but don't ask. Mm-hmm. So we got to run the, we got to run the math on it to see if that makes sense and, and all those kind of things, but it, it's, it's trending. And, and also I, you're asking for corn free now. I think there's some reasons on soy with, uh, there's concerns with, uh, phytoestrogens in, in soy. There's some concerns with other inflammatory markers within soy. The corn thing though, I need to dig into further and please give us feedback on the podcast if you, if you know better. But I think a lot of that's driven by the doctor or nutritional person that they're working with doesn't want uh, GMO or Roundup in their diet. So they just say no corn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Makes it simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, organic just makes it simple. Okay. But it's not organic. Isn't always best for soil health. Right. So we have to, uh, you know, tell the story a little better and, and communicate a little better. Uh, I don't see corn having those issues that soybean does for human health. But uh, you know, when you're growing non-GMO, no neonic, no Roundup, I think that, uh, that, that changes that conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, on your, um, list of things, uh, just the other day when we spoke with, uh, Pam Marone, um, on the podcast, uh, you were talking about outcome-based research and tracking and that kind of thing. And, 
And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that's going to look like, because I think that plays into all of these things that you just talked about, like how you're making those decisions and, and what you're looking at, like, what are we measuring? Mm -hmm. Who's measuring it? You know, whose rule, you know, and it could be cover crops or whatever, how a bio by adding bios, what, what does that outcomes based thing look like is, can you talk a little bit about that? I think one of the missing components we have is we help farmers grow great soil and grow great quality crops. Then they just get mixed into a box, a can, a barge, a silo with everybody else's stuff, right? No identity preservation. No, no way to, for the farmer to get additional value. Now on some of the specialty crops, we get some premium from, you know, better nut size, uh, better color, better sugar, those kind of things. But in general, not much of the total value that's created. So how do we help that farmer get more out of the dollars that he's uh, investing with us? So when he or she chooses used power to grow crop production system, it's just based on gaining yield, right? And, or maybe some quality parameters and, and, but we're doing so much more out there. So how do we either partner with somebody or create the market to where a consumer that wants something grown in a certain way. And we communicate what that story is. And we say, yep, guess what? Farmer A has done it this way with our program. He's seen positive results on his soil tests. He's, you know, the nutritional density, getting the sampling involved to show this is a product that you want that's more nutrient dense and you're willing to pay a little bit more for that, then the farmer can get that back in their pocket. And that's a big, big, tall order. But I, I, I think it can start small. And, and I think it can happen. Uh, we're already working with a couple of regenerative ag projects in California on uh, cotton. And we see other crops like that where the brand or the buyer is getting connected directly to the farmer. So that it doesn't go into this middleman that mixes it with everything and comes back out the other side. It's just, you know, cotton. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, or just as, you know, gin fiber, it's, it's identity preserved directly to the brand because the consumers want it. And we just need to, we've got the technology. We just have to get it in place to, to connect it. So one is going to be, and again, this is still input related uh, items. Okay. So step two is going to be incorporating technologies that can tell us, yes, that's a better fiber. Um, well, for example, popped in my head here, many, uh, leather consuming companies prefer uh, grass finished beef uh, for their leather products. Okay. Because they know it's, it's generally a little bit older animal. Uh, it's, it's walked more. It's, it's been outside in the sun. The leather itself is significantly stronger and better, higher quality product for them to work with. Okay. So they know that. How do we, how do we accurately describe all of the quality benefits of what every farmer is that we're working with is doing so that they can get 
that directly on the product that they make, but also on the practices that they do. Mm-hmm. How did they do on creating economic opportunity in their community? How did they do on putting carbon in the soil? How did they do on keeping nitrogen out of our streams and out of our groundwater? How did they do on keeping you know, uh, dust emissions and nitrous oxide emissions? How did they do on water conservation and water use efficiency? What is their, how good of a job are they doing? And let's start rewarding the people that are doing a great job mm-hmm. and not rewarding the people that are doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. And it's a ways off, but the, the technologies are there to, to bring it all together to, to make that happen and, and create a marketplace because the, you know, the, the channels of just a few companies um, dominating it can only happen if it is a commodity. Mm-hmm. So if we can get away from commodity beef, commodity grains, and those kind of things, we create a lot more opportunities for farmers to get directly in touch with their consumer and quit giving away 86 cents of every dollar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a million things in there that I, I, I think about what, you know, when you think about supply chain and like ships sitting out in the middle of the ocean, waiting to unload and, and uh, things that that we've kind of changed in our world. Like, so I love to read and I read a book about a shoemaker, you know, and this is, you know, hundreds of years ago and they're making shoes and the, the, the painstaking work that they did to really make this beautiful shoe that someone would have for a long time that they would actually pay to have repaired. You know, I mean, we don't, do that anymore. We go and buy a cheap shoe and wear it out and as uh, six months, and then we buy another one, you know, where what you're talking about with the leather, you know, just really that whole process, we're just kind of rethinking some of those things and the value of, um, of the workmanship. But the other thing that it makes me think about is, you know, we've had seven sons. We've had Blaine Hitsfield on here. We've had um, Will Harris on here from White Oak Pastures. And, you know, those are just two examples of this whole process that, as you said, isn't just selling a commodity. They are building an entire community and providing work and um and something that people can get excited about and buy into. Right. And, and that's a lot of, I think what's going to build the momentum for some of this, but especially the, the ripple effect of everything that it's doing. So, and I especially appreciate how you mentioned that you're not just getting, when we start looking at these outcomes and what people are being rewarded for that it, there's a litany of things that they did well, not just one thing. And that's going to be, or as sometimes you say, instead of the list of the, you can't do this, it's a list of, these are all the things we did that contributed to a positive outcome. So. Yeah. And it's also going to require a certain amount of truth and labeling because there's, there's so much, uh, (laughs) greenwashing Mm -hmm. on labelings. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get a kick out of, um, I do a little, uh, teaching uh, thing for our local community college on uh, once once a semester with their their chef class, and we talk about labelings and what grass fed and grain fed and all this other types of things, what it means, and do some taste testing, which is the best part. I get I get <laughs> two great chefs that take our meat and make it magic. So I 
you know, one of the things you see, I'll, I'll bring in eggs from the store and it'll say hormone free. And I was like, Horm- why, why do you say it? it's illegal to administer hormones to chickens? So, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy that they'll, they'll put all these things on there. And it's just because people know they're not supposed to look for hormones. And, you know, it's one part that it's another part of the consumer just needs to take a little more time and get a little more educated too. I mean, that's, that's kind of silly. And then when they see that, just don't buy it. You know, what, why are you supporting people that are making the, making more confusion? So, but you know, I, I doubt if that'll happen, but still it, it's interesting. And, and a lot of it does come down to a choice, right? We're great at making cheap food. We are awesome at making cheap food and U S per capita spend on food is less than anywhere else in the world. So all of a sudden, if we decide to start spending more on food as a family, okay, uh, Dave Ramsey isn't going to say, I'll just be like Congress and just, you know, spend more money that you don't have. It's got to come from somewhere, right? So when we ask people to make choices that are better for themselves, better for the environment, better for the, the uh, animals and, and the land, they have to choose to not do something else. Right. So if we're going to ask them to go from 10% of their income to 12% or 15% for their food budget, that means two to 5% has to come from somewhere else. Right. So how do you help them uh, realize that that's important? We'd prefer that they do it before they have a health scare. So what interesting thing that we find is that then 80% of the reason roughly, I mean, about 80% of the people buy from us at Grateful Grays because of health-related reasons. Mm-hmm. 10% buy because of animal welfare, 10% buy because of environmental ecosystem reasons. But it's And if it's health-related, it's a uh, baby boomer generation. It's like, I'm in bad shape. Doctor says I got to do something, right? It's a, it's a Gen Xer that's like, yeah, blood pressure is coming up. Doctor says kind of need to, or the millennials worried about becoming bad. So it's either mm-hmm. they have a problem, they're mm-hmm. about to have a problem, or they're worried about having a problem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. All, all generations seem to be the same health related. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring that up, you know, because we got to be thinking all the time about when we grow a crop or, or, or raise livestock, we got to be thinking about what does that customer want? Okay. Because if you start thinking about what your customer wants, then you can start thinking about how I can get more for what I am raising or producing or growing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important to always be thinking through to the end user, realizing that there's going to be, you know, brokers, handlers, consolidators in the meantime, but, you know, thinking on that pull through type mentality, will you may not get the premium for it today, but it's be ready for it. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be ways to identify and preserve that premium and and, and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's exciting. And I, I just think back again to the folks that have been on the podcast who have said, you know, when we ask them, why did you start this process? Why are you involved in the soil health? Think about the guests that we've had that have said it was a personal health story that made them pivot and rethink the way they were doing things. You know, something else that stands out to me and you bring up uh, previous guests um, as how many times, uh, you know, they were told, uh, I think back at Don Huber talking about how the professor 
you know, just wrote a bigger paper back about how his paper was, yes. was bigger response back about how his paper was obnoxious. And that really motivated him, right? Yes. Fred Provenza wanted to prove that animals can learn. And a lot of times it's, it's interesting that the researchers we have on are really, I consider the, the cream of the crop. They're, mm-hmm. they're the two percenters and they're, they're different than the, than the rest in their immediate community. And they, they need to be listened to because if somebody tells them they, something isn't that way or can't be done, uh, they really have that tenacity to, well, I'll show you, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. go and figure out and truly solve the problem. And so I think that's, uh, I think that's interesting. You know, I think back to Jonathan Lundgren, you know, he bucked the system mm-hmm. and it cost mm-hmm. him his job. Mm-hmm. And he's been through some, been through some rough times to stand on principle, right? Cause it would surely be easy just to be quiet and go about the business and writing grants and doing research and, have any accolades any awards but mm-hmm. he saw a problem he stood up for what's right it cost him his his job but he did the right thing and now with ecdysis and and his team that he's got going on there they continue to perpetuate great research that helps us understand uh what's going on so that's right and that's exciting and it's fun to see um and so much fun to get to talk with these folks um, as they, as they unpack that for us. And if you go back and listen to some of those podcasts, boy, if that isn't a common thread through, through many of them is that they got pushback on the work that they were doing. So I guess sometimes I think the harder someone pushes back on what you're doing, probably the more accurate you are in your thinking of what, (laughs) of the direction that you see that it's going, but also though, that common thread of, those folks are quick to acknowledge that they learned more from their mistakes and the things that didn't go the way that they thought um, than they did from what they thought they knew, right? Or follow on, you know, observation and follow on to a certain part of a study and and just kind of keep chasing chasing the trail. That's right. That's right. So they're willing to look at that. I think the the thing that comes to mind there is it takes a lot of humility to recognize that what you thought you knew wasn't right and that, okay, so, so then instead of just going, you know, it, oh, I don't want anybody to find out I wasn't right about that. No, instead they go on to, well, then what is right? Then what, what does move us down to that next answer or that next question that we need to be asking? Mm-hmm. And that is a common thing that we, I think we see in this whole process is that, and, and I've said it a million times, y'all have heard me say it, there's no silver bullet. Um, you know, we know that the, the principles are the same, but the practices vary across, you know, every field and farm that you come across. So there's lots of learning to be happening, but, um, but being able to acknowledge that, Hey, you know, you're going to be figuring this out as you go. And so, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, I'm pretty proud of how this uh, podcast has evolved over time. I think, uh, Kim and Megan, uh, do a great job of lining up some great people you to listen to. Obviously, today they they were off a little. They've got to listen <laughs> to me, but I uh, I think uh, you know all the folks that we've had on the podcast. Uh, I've for sure known of, uh, or most of them. I mean, the majority of them. I I have some sort of personal relationship with, and 
each one of them has shaped my thinking, right? It's shaped how I approach business, how I approach farming, how I approach stewardship and those kind of things. So the neat part is, is you kind of are able to uh, see what makes me tick and uh, that's probably good or bad, (laughs) but uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to have these guests on here that have had such a profound impact on me personally, our businesses and, and really on agriculture in general. And I, it's quite a wide variety that we have, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you mm-hmm. know, have. That's uh, intentional. Great, Did you know that? It is intentional. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's like I'm, uh, uh, I, I went to Augustana College, uh, which is a liberal arts college. And I uh, got a business degree there and I didn't go to an ag school. So I went my, my ag, so I got my business degree there, but while I was in school, I farmed and Mm -hmm. I sold seed corn and that was my agra portion of my business degree. So I didn't want to be too far from home, need to help out. And it was the closest college that we had, you know, from, from where I live. So, you know, some would say that puts you at a disadvantage, but I think the interesting part about that um, liberal arts education is it does a great job of helping you see a lot of perspectives and not get so um, caught up in doing what yeah, everybody's always vision. done. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I appreciate that. But then, you know, God's just set great people in our lives uh, to interact with at, at the right time and learn from. And you get to, uh, by this podcast, get to listen to those people that uh, we've been able to, uh, you know, work with, partner with, uh, learn from, you know, from, from ag technologists, companies we've been able to invest in and help them successfully bring a product to market, you know, from mm-hmm. a automatically driving uh, auto cart, which uh, would be great, but Bob would be mad. He wouldn't have a job. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, or, or, you know, other uh, technology companies that are on here. So it's, you know, while we're, we're listed as an ag tech podcast, um, there's so much more than just the technology goes into it. I think a lot of times technology companies are guilty of having a technology that they're trying to find a problem for. Okay. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is you need to, and I'll speak into the entrepreneurs right now, you need to find the problem and then get the technology to match the problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, output based, uh, you heard me say it before, there's the problem, figure it out. It's a multi-billion dollar opportunity Mm -hmm. preserving that output versus focusing on the the inputs on how we produce food. And then uh, I think it's by having all these other voices in agriculture from farmers on the podcast to uh, consultants, to direct sellers, to researchers, all this that's going on. Agriculture is extraordinarily diverse and we need to hear from all these different perspectives versus just get into our silo mm-hmm. of all about crop production or all about research or all about how to raise your next series a and who to talk to and all, all the investment opportunities. So, you know, uh, it's farming. If, if we are all, if farmers operated in the silo, they'll, they'll go broke soon. Right. So mm-hmm, we have to be mm-hmm. um, very diverse in, in what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I, I hope people enjoy the podcast and, and the variety of, of what we, what we have going on. And it's each one's to challenge your thinking and challenge what you thought to be true and, and make sure that, uh, you are headed in the right direction with basically principle, principle based farming. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been a lot of fun now occasionally. And I, I don't watch much anymore, but I, I used to watch uh, the dreaded Fox news and I got so sick of Fox news bragging all the time about, Oh, we're the number one news channel in cable, blah, 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 blah. They're always talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Well, we're going to take a little hint here from Fox news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, we, we, we got a recognition lately and I don't know, uh, we were rated one of the top 15 ag tech podcasts, even though we talk a little bit about ag tech and what the need is for ag tech, but it's not all hundred percent ag tech. So that either means one of two things, Kim, there's only 15 ag tech podcasts or, (laughs) (laughs) or, but we're number eight. We're not Fox news. Number one, but, uh, we're, we're getting there. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and listening. Um, we are a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche of a podcast and, uh, we appreciate it. And if you ever have suggestions, opportunities, ideas, um, you know, maybe someday we'll do a live event. That'd be fun see if we can call in and, and stump, stump money. It'd be a lot of fun, but, uh, I think any, any way that we can serve you better, we want to hear from you. So, you know, we're, um, we're still relying on the, the contacts connections that me and the team have to bring you good information, but we're, we're always excited to think outside of our own box too, and, and bring you even more information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has been great to get to unpack a lot of um, these stories and just really understand where people started and how they got down that path. And um, I think there's a lot to be learned from just learning even that a lot of people, we always start with their why, why do they do it? And uh, when you start with that and you understand what people are passionate about, it gets you excited about their passion as well. So it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. You got to hear the story. You got to know what motivates a person. You got to know what, what the why is behind them. And, you know, some people, and generally of all the guests we've been on here are all, uh, very humble. So, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's a little tough to get them to, to tell their story and what, what's going on. But if, if they're on here, they've got a pretty amazing story. They, they've done some, they've done some great things and gosh, we're just, we're, we're lucky to have them. So yes, very fortunate. Well, um, I don't have to release you to go back to the combine you're done. So that's good today. And, and hopefully fingers crossed, we, we had about 80 acres of cover crop seeding left to do starting the day, but, uh, I'm thinking we'll get it done before it rains here. That's exciting. Well, it's been a great conversation and we're thankful that you all have joined us. We hope you've gleaned some more information from this. And we just look forward to bringing you more great podcasts in the future. So thanks for being with us today. Yeah. And thank you all. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a successful season. I hope you're looking forward to next year and uh, realize it's going to be probably one of the most chaotic years that we've experienced on input and output. Um, so buckle up and, and be determined to do it right. And, uh, we'll all work together to, to make it happen. 
Well, thanks for listening today. We've covered a lot of great topics and hopefully some things that made you pause and think about something you might adopt or change in your operation. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.